Well, I remember uh, when Carol and I were facing a move of our own, uh, a move here to Cincinnati just a little over two years ago. And uh, as you probably know, if you've had a home before, uh, when you move, you have the opportunity, right? You have an opportunity for a new home, a home that would have the things that you always wanted to have or the things that you stumbled across that you knew that you needed to have in the next home, sometimes based on the fact that you, your kids are grown up and you don't need that type of home anymore. You need a new home. And so this was an opportunity for us. And one of the things that, that we always enjoyed when looking at a home was something that we never had had in any of our previous two homes. One of these front porch. I mean, that is just beautiful, isn't it? I mean, Carol and I would drive around, we'd walk around the neighborhoods, and whenever we saw a home with a front porch, we just kind of stopped. Because, you know, a front porch is so warm, it's so welcoming, we would love to have had a home with a front porch. On top of that, from a purely practical standpoint, a front porch would block the sun from hitting the front door to your, to your home. See, we had this home in Lansing, and uh, we didn't have a front porch, and the sun would hit that front door, and that front door, I'm not lying, would get so incredibly hot, you could not even touch it. I mean, if you could lay it out, you know, flat, you could like grill a steak on our front door. It was so incredibly hot, so a, a, a porch would help to block the sun, that was good. But also we thought a front porch would be that place where we could kind of, you know, talk with one another, you know, read spend time with each other, wave at the neighbors as they go by, perhaps even invite the neighbors to come and have a coffee with us. You know, that, that was a front porch. That was something we were looking for. As one blogger wrote, he, he wrote this, and I like what he said, the American front porch represents the ideal of community in America. For the front porch exists as a zone between the public and the private, an area that can be shared between the sanctity of the home and the community outside. It is an area where interaction with the community can take place. And that's what we were looking forward to, interaction with the community. And so when we moved into that home, we found this home. We were so excited it had a front porch. One of the first things we did was we put our furniture out on the front porch, even though it was the month of January. Even though it was freezing cold outside, we had our furniture out on our front porch because that's where we were going to spend our time. And we were looking forward to that. And so months passed, of course. And the spring came, the temperatures, you know, heated up. It was beautiful outside. And once you know what happened next, we spent time outdoors, of course, over and over again, but out on our back deck. In fact, over and over and over, we'd always spend time out on our back deck. For the entire year, we lived in that home out in Mainville. We never sat together out on that front porch, not even once, not even once. And you got to wonder what went wrong. You know, is, is the front porch kind of a relic from the past? An idea that once worked but no longer works? Is, it, is a front porch kind of like going to the museum? You know, it's beautiful. You look at it, but you don't touch it. You don't use it. Is that what a front porch is all about? I want you to think about your own life right now as to why that would be. Think about your neighbors, how you interact with them, how they interact with you. Because I don't know your neighbors, but if your neighbors are anything like mine, here's what happens on your street. In fact, you might even look for this neighbor. He or she might arrive home somewhere around 6 o'clock at night. And that person, they, they drive down the street. You might see them from time to time. They pull up to their driveway. They pull in their driveway. They hit that little button, and the garage door goes up. They drive inside their garage. The garage door goes down, and you never see them again. I mean, a month could go by, right? 
Two months could go by. If you don't see them at just the right time, they live in isolation. And so do you many times. In fact, Andy Stanley, someone that I've just come to love, and he's written a lot about community. In fact, some of his writings have found their their way into this message here today. He says this. Is this true of you? The harsh truth is that after a long, hard day and perhaps a crowded commute, we don't want to see more people. We want to get away from them. (laughs) Is that true? Is that true of you? If you really think about your life? Well, it's true of many Americans, which is why, of course, so many Americans, when they buy a home, they spend a lot of money out on their back deck. That back deck for them has become a place, a sanctuary. It's a place to get away from it all. In fact, for some Americans, having a good quality back deck isn't good enough. They need even more, yet an even larger space you know, they can utilize to get away from their neighbors, their co-workers, their, their friends, sometimes even their family. And that's why some Americans, when they buy a home, they they get a back deck, sure enough. But they also will spend a a small fortune installing one of these, the outdoor fireplace. Have you seen this? I mean, a lot of Americans starting to do this. And it's here you can kick back, relax, enjoy the warmth, have a nice conversation, mostly with yourself. And you act like the world doesn't even exist. You think I'm kidding? Think about the, the average person here in Cincinnati. There's so many businesses here. And a lot of people working for businesses where you have to travel. So I want you to think about your next-door neighbor, perhaps, that works for one of these companies, and, and they're married, they have children, but they have a job. And so they have to travel. I want you to think about just kind of a normal day, perhaps, in their life in a particular week. Morning comes, the alarm clock goes off. They hit the snooze button a couple times because they're so tired from living out everything they faced the day before. And when they finally do get up, they rush around the house just trying to get ready, which means they leave for work five minutes later than they should to find themselves only stuck on an overcrowded freeway, which, of course, makes them almost miss that flight they have to catch in order to do their job. And so when they do finally get on that overcrowded flight, they're lucky enough to sit next to an overly talkative person. Okay, and so they try to avoid that person while they're sitting, and for whatever reason, their plane isn't taking off, which means things are heating up inside. So they try to turn on their air conditioning, but that doesn't really work, and it's getting awfully uncomfortable. Eventually, their flight lands, and they start working their job. In fact, they overwork. They work way too many hours when they're there. They don't eat the right food. And when they finally do their job, they get back on the plane. They always seem to arrive home just a few hours later than they thought that they would. And when they finally do get their car, they finally drive from the airport, and they finally drive down your street, and you see them for the first time in three months, and they hit that button, and they pull into their garage, and the garage door goes down, what do they do? They live in isolation. They live in isolation. And what's the result of living in isolation? Well, study after study has been done. Here's what one researcher stated. Americans are among the loneliest people in the world. Think about that. Studies show we are among the loneliest people in the world. And it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. Have you ever met someone in your life who's kind of disconnected from others, didn't really have any deep relationships, And yet, when you see them, they're full of life and joy. Do you know anyone like that? No, because the reality is we are hardwired for community. We are. But the truth is that we often run away from what we truly need. 
What will help us most, we often set aside, don't we? Look at the realities of life. The person who needs to lose weight will refuse to exercise. The person who needs to forgive will hold on to bitterness sometimes until the day that they die. The person who hurts others when drinking will still visit that liquor store. The person with cancer, for whatever reason, will still go out and buy a pack of cigarettes a day. And the person who desperately needs a friend will still refuse to embrace community. And we do this over and over and over again in our lives, and it's not good. It's not what God wants for us. In fact, God wants us to experience the very essentials of what is so incredibly important to him. That's why over the past year, year and a half here at MCC, we as leaders, we've we've gathered together. We said, okay, God, what is it that you want for us as a church? How do you want us to operate? What kind of church do you want us to be? Because you see, there's a lot of different kind of churches out there. And I've heard from some of you who have visited here and and you've told me about your visits to other churches and you said there's there's different kind of churches out there. There are. There are the worship churches. You might even know a church that uh, that you might have in mind when you when you hear that. Such a church, of course, that's the core of who they are. More than anything else, they want to connect people's hearts to the very heart of God. And so they focus on worship. That's what they do better than anything else. And it's a great thing. And we want to do worship well. In fact, I think our team up here just does an outstanding job. I mean, just amazing. Just amazing. We said a healthy church, so that's part of what's needed in a healthy church. You've got to do it well, but it's part of what a church is all about. And then, of course, there are the doctrinal churches. You might know about some of these churches. They're passionate about, you know, preaching theology and doctrine, making you aware of their denominational distinctives. And there's nothing wrong with that. We want to preach the Bible as well. We want to preach good theology and doctrine. But we'll say, you know, that is really part of what you need for a healthy church. And then, of course, there are the recovery churches. Beautiful churches. They dedicate themselves an enormous amount of energy to helping people heal from their their hurts, their mistakes, their hang-ups, their habits, their, their challenges, their sorrows. And who can argue with that strategy? Because so many people are hurting and so many people need Jesus. And we want to do that well, too. It's part of being a healthy church. And then, of course, there are the service churches. And you probably can think of a church or two here in Cincinnati. They're known for, for being salt and light in the community by helping people tangibly, by meeting their material needs. And we want to do that as well. That's why we have our three-mile radius here. We said we want to be a church that reaches out to people who are hurting. But that's not the sole focus of who we are as a church. You've got to do it well, but it's not the sole focus. So we've been praying, planning, thinking about this. God what kind of church do you want us to be? Because God is moving in our midst. He's doing some pretty incredible things here. And as he's changing us, as he's moving here, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, when people in our community think about MCC, here's what we want them to think. MCC? Now that's that church that truly values community. That's that church that truly loves one another. That's that church that truly values what family is all about. And you see, friends, we want this to be true of us because we believe this is the heart of God for us. It's the heart of God for us. In fact, we know this to be true because when you open up the pages of Scripture from the very beginning, you see this to be true. 
chapter 1, the very first chapter in the Bible, we learn a whole lot about God from the book of Genesis. And the first lesson is this, that God models community for us. He models community for us. I want you to put it all in perspective here. After God created the light, after he created the sky, the land and the seas, vegetation, the sun and the moon, the creatures of the sea and of the air and the animals, God said this, let us, plural, make man in our plural image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so what we see from the first chapter of Genesis is we see God living in community. And what we realize over time from the Old Testament then to the New Testament that God is known as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person of the Trinity, of course, has a particular purpose that not only benefits each other, but ultimately benefits the entire world. The Trinity lives in community, values community. We see this right from Scripture. Take a look at this. The Trinity enjoys one another. That's part of community. Enjoying one another. That's why God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. This very thing that we enjoy, let's replicate. Let's do this. The Trinity enjoys one another. The Trinity also encourages one another. Before Christ began his ministry, he was baptized. And as soon as he came up out of the water, the first thing he heard was his father's voice saying, this is my son. With him, I am well pleased. So the Trinity enjoys one another, encourages one another, and supports one another. They have their various roles. In fact, while Jesus was teaching on this earth, he said, But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. I've got my part. He's got his part. The Trinity also loves one another. The Father speaks of his Son and says, This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. The Trinity also defers to one another. That's what you do in community. In fact, Jesus, when he walked this earth, he was known for his teaching. And even so, he made it clear. He said, the words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. So the Trinity enjoys one another, encourages one another, supports one another, loves one another, defers to one another, and finally glorifies one another. At the very end of Christ's ministry, Jesus says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And so what we see in the Bible is God working as a team, working in unity together, living in community together. And since God models community for us, He desires that we live this out and that we do the same. It's exactly what the Bible tells us in verse 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them because they needed to live in community. See, God created us in his image in order to represent him on this earth. And so in addition to how God models community for us, it's also very clear in Scripture that God knows community is best for us. He knows community is best for us. See, after God made Adam, the Bible tells us, the Lord God took the man... And put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. 
So here's God's command to Adam, and then God kind of steps back and looks over everything and says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I've been in probably over 100 weddings uh, through my years, and that verse is often quoted. It's a popular verse because from the book of Genesis, from the very beginning, we see what marriage is. It's between a man and a woman. It's very clear. And so God says, I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. It's not good for him to be alone. And so why is this? Why would God say this? What's this whole thing about? Well, I've often looked at that verse and thought I understood it. And yet when I read something that John Ortberg wrote, A while ago, a light bulb went on. There was something deeper here that I saw. I had never really kind of taken in. About this passage, Ortberg writes, What is striking is that the fall has not yet occurred. There is no sin, no disobedience, nothing to mar the relationship between God and man. The human being is in a state of perfect intimacy with God. Each word he and God speak with each other is filled with closeness and joy. He walks with God in the garden in the cool of the day. He is known and loved to the core of his being by his omniscient, love-filled creator. Yet the word God uses to describe him is alone. And God says, this aloneness is not good. Think about it. Adam, he's living in perfection. He's walking with God, talking with God. And yet God would look at him and say, oh, it's not good for him to be alone. I live in community. He needs to live in community as well. So he makes a helper for him, a woman. It's astounding stuff. So why is it not good for us to be alone? You ever thought about that? Why is it not good for us to be alone? There's different reasons. But Ortberg points to one. In fact, another book that he wrote, um, he tracks. This is very interesting. Center in here because this is really essential for us to understand. He talks about a study that tracked the relationships of 7,000 people over a nine-year period of time. A study that tracks this relationships of 7,000 people over a nine-year period of time. And the outcome of this study was this. Researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. Take that in. People who had bad health habits such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, or alcohol use, but strong social ties lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. In other words, it is better to eat Twinkies with good friends than eat broccoli alone. And all God's people said, Amen. But that's the reality. That's how important community is. It's paramount that we live in relationship with each other because an isolated life is not just a lonely life. It's a short life. We need each other. But the problem is we often run away from the very thing that we know that we need. Are you doing that in your life? Are you embracing community? I remember one of the first times I saw this as an adult. Carol and I were married. We, our children were very young. And in the church we were in, we started a small group. And this small group was made up of other couples. Some of these couples had children just a little bit older than us, than our kids. And then, of course, we had some couples that had no children at all. And so we began living in community. We began doing all kinds of things together, studying God's word together, praying together, but snowmobiling together. 
boating together. I remember one weekend we went up north in cabins together, just hanging out together, enjoying one another in community. And then the day came in our small group one time where Brian and Lordy showed up and they said, you know what, we're pregnant. And they were so excited because they were going to give birth to their first child. And so that became the focus of much of our conversation every time we got together. How you doing, Lori? You want a boy or a girl? You know, what might be the name for your child? You know, the same conversations we've had with other people over and over again. And the excitement grew as time went on. And as time went on, eventually that phone call came from the hospital. A phone call that everyone in the group knew came a bit too soon. The couple after couple found themselves going up to the hospital room. And there was Brian and Lori, and they talked about, in tears, talked about how they held their little girl in the palm of their hand. A girl that would not live. A girl they would never raise. And then with tears, they looked around and said, we could never get through this without you. How could we do this without you? how important community is, friends. In the highs of life, the lows of life, we need each other. We need each other. So I want you to think right now about a meaningful relationship you've had with the best friend, perhaps, in your life. What made that relationship so important? You see it? Let me ask you this. What do you think other people are looking for? They're looking for deep, ongoing, meaningful community. They are. That's why God models community for us. He knows community is best for us. And lastly, God celebrates community within us. He celebrates community within us. In fact, in order to make this point, let's look at the creation story again. Because God had just created everything. And what happens next? The Bible says God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. Now, some of you have been Christians for years. Many people have heard the creation story before. So let me ask you a question. What's different about God's statement regarding his creation in verse 31? What's different about his statement there when compared to all of his other statements leading up to that statement about his creation? What's different? Yeah. You see, when God created light, God said that it was good. When God created the land and the seas, God said it was good. When God created the vegetation, he stepped back and says, oh, that's good. When he created the sun and the moon, God said it was good. When he created the creatures of the sea and the air, God stepped back and says, oh, that is good. And when he created the animals, God said it was good. Over and over again, we see God looking at his creation and saying, oh, man, that is good. And good isn't bad. So don't get me wrong, it's merely what God said. But something changed. Andy Stanley writes about it. He says, then on the sixth day, humankind comes on the scene. The culmination of God's creativity has arrived. God is so pleased by this latest creation that as he assesses all his efforts over the previous six days, his appraisal changes. With his latest addition, the things he had created are no longer just good. They are now very good. God's prized creation had tipped the scales. He looked at human beings. Oh, that's very good. Because God could look at a mountain and say, oh, that's beautiful. That's good. But a mountain cannot live in community. 
You look at the oceans and the beaches. You go, oh, man, that is beautiful. That is good. But you can't call it very good because an ocean cannot live in community. Only you and I. Only we together can live in community. And that's why, friends, I want you to think about this. No matter what your story has been, no matter what you have done, no matter what you hope that no one else finds out about, no matter what you're going through today, whether it's a great day or a struggle you're having in your life, no matter how you view yourself, here's the reality. When God looks at you, he sings over you. He dances over you. And God rejoices over you and he celebrates over us when we together live out and model how he has made us to live, living in community. See, the truth of scripture and the truth of even studies that have been done is this, that a person's ability to love and connect with others in community lays the foundation for both psychological and physical health. And so what Genesis teaches us here is this, that when we embrace isolation, we die. We die physically, we die emotionally, we die spiritually. But when we embrace community, we live. We live beautifully. We live fully because we're living as God intended us to live. And that's why we're saying as we kick off this year that community is essential. It's important for every single one of us here in this place. It is. And even as I say this, I also just want you to be careful. I want you to be careful to not replicate what Carol and I did with our own home. Because the reality is what we need, we often run from. And even as you hear this, oh yeah, we're supposed to live out community. We'll leave this place. We'll go out to our back decks or sit by our outdoor fireplaces just trying to get away from everyone. Because what we desperately need, we often run away from. Don't do that. See, God has not called us to live out on our back decks or sit by our outdoor fireplaces. He's called us to front porch living. He's called us to front porch living where we connect with each other, where we connect with others. This is how he has hardwired us, friends. This is how he has made us. And that's why as we look at this word called community, living out family here as a church, we're saying as leadership, we are so dedicated to this. We're taking this so seriously that over the past year we have worked and worked trying to create opportunities for you to embrace and embrace community. That's why when you take a look at this brochure, if you could take this out, our group's guide, just take a look at this. There are 84 different group opportunities represented here. 84 different group opportunities represented here. This is amazing, friends. And, and, and as you take a look at this, take a look at the front. It says, engage in the adventure at MCC and experience biblical community through one of our four types of groups. The reason why we've created four types of groups is because we're all in a different place. Some of you are ready to dive into that type of community I talked about earlier, get in, getting into relationship with others. It will take you three years of time. You want to be part of an ongoing group. Others of you, your life is busy. It's very full. You're traveling here, traveling there. You can only engage for a short period of time. We have groups for you in terms of that. There are some people here today, you're in a life stage. You might be single or premarital stage or you're getting married or now you finally had your first child. How do I parent this child? We have groups for you. And there are some here who are hurting. You've been hurt this year and you need to be healed. We have groups for you. So open this up if you can. Because inside on the left-hand side, you see grow groups. 
And these are ongoing groups designed to provide community, grow spiritually, and become more like Christ. This would be like the small group experience I just shared with you about Brian and Lori. I encourage you, if you're ready, to dive into one of those. Then we have life stage groups. Semester-based groups. These are groups that go for six, eight, ten weeks or so. Designed to train and equip you for success at every stage of life. And then we have care groups. These are also semester-based groups designed to help you heal from the setbacks and challenges of life. They're semester-based because we need to find healing and then we need to move on. We need to, to, to take the next step that God has for us in our healing. And then we have our go groups, ongoing groups designed to help you serve others in community as you're getting to know each other as you reach the community, the three-mile radius. These are our four types of groups. And to the right-hand side, we have put pictures there of our leaders who oversee each type of these groups because we want you to know who they are. For example, Tom Sherwood, he oversees right now our grow groups and our life stage groups. One reason why I had him speak two weekends ago is so that you would know who he is. And you would hear from his heart. And then we have our care groups led by Christy Moser. She's back there in the atrium today. I encourage you to to have a talk with her. And then our go groups led by Jeff Spencer. And he spoke just last weekend. Once again, I had him speak because I wanted you to know who he is and to hear his heart. And then as you turn the pages here, you're going to find all the opportunities, starting with grow groups. And we list them starting from the day of Sunday all the way through the week. I encourage you to take a look at each one of these opportunities. And then as you turn the page again, you'll find grow groups for women. Opportunities for women to grow together. And then if you turn the page over again, you'll find grow groups for men. Opportunities for men to to learn what it's like to be a godly man in our society today. And then you turn again, we have our life stage groups, followed by our care groups, and then followed by our go groups. Listing these opportunities by the day, where they're taking place, place. And what I want you to do would be three things I want you to consider. The first is this, to take this group's guide home and read over the entire thing. And then circle the opportunities that kind of stick out to you. And then pray over those opportunities. God, what would you have me do here? And then really do this, friends, because what's going to happen is what we've already talked about. You might take this home. You might actually read over it. You might actually circle some opportunities. And then we want to run away from the very thing that's going to help us. Don't do that. Pray over these opportunities. Take this home. Read over it. We're going to come back to this next week. I'm going to introduce you to the leaders. You're going to hear from them. Because we're serious about this, friends. Secondly, in your bulletin today, you had this insert. And if you're interested right now, you may not know exactly what group you want to dive into, but you know you want to be part of a grow group, check that box, or a life stage, or a care, or a go group, check that box, give us your contact information, and we will follow up with you this week to help you get engaged with a group. It's that important to us. So fill that out. If you just know you're interested, you don't know what it is yet, but you want to dive into one of these four types of groups. And then... What I want you to do today and really take advantage of today is out in the atrium. You saw the tables there with the banners. Our leaders are out there, some of the volunteer leaders as well, there to answer any questions you have about what we're talking about here today. Avail yourself of this opportunity because what we tend to do in church is kind of what we see our neighbors do. We show up at the very last second for church. We do the service. We leave as quickly as possible, and we go back and live in isolation. We often run away from the very thing that can help us. Don't do that.
hang out a bit longer today than you normally do, have some conversations back there. And friends, as we grow in community together, we're going to see God do things here we have never seen before. So let's dive in. Will you pray with me? Dear Father, we thank you that for whatever reason, reasons we really don't understand, you see such value in us. You created us in your image to reflect you on this earth. And a big part of that, of course, is living in community. And so, God, I pray for each person that's here. Lord, that you'd give them the courage to take that next step. There are some here who who know this is what they need, and yet there are ten excuses in their mind right now as to why they just can't. Lord, by your Spirit, just erase each one of those excuses. Give them the courage to take that next step towards community, whether that means just have a conversation after the service today or filling out that card or going home and reading through the entire brochure and just laying that down before you. But give us all the courage we need to take the next step in community because, God, this is how you work. This is how you refine us. You've not made us to be Lone Ranger Christians, you've made us to be Christians living in community together, impacting the world together. So now, Lord, do what only you can do. Because in our humanness, we want to run away from it. So help us in your power to embrace all these various opportunities before us. And Lord, as always, we want to give you the credit for the outcome, Lord, that you'd receive the glory and the praise from all that comes from this. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your call for us to love each other. And now, Lord, with your help, may we do that. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing right now and all that you're about to do. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here this weekend. Avail yourself of the opportunity. Then go home, make a snowman, and we'll see you next weekend, okay?